This is going to be the first of three messages from this chapter. And this is not a chapter that has too many happy moments in it. This is a chapter that you probably know about, I, I would imagine. How, how many of you are familiar, by show of hands, you're familiar in some way with Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, you know about it, huh? Yeah, it's, it's a place that we know, it's a scene that we know. This is going to be a chapter that certainly displays God's judgment, God's wrath, uh, people's sin, people's wickedness. We're certainly going to see all of that, but we are going to space it out <laughs> over three weeks so that we do not leave uh, sadder than we ought. We leave seeing the beauty of the work of the Lord, the beauty of God's grace in the midst of great ungodliness and in the midst of ungodly people. None of us in this room are righteous. No, not one, except for the righteousness from another. So we'll begin our time today by understanding that one truth that our righteousness, it does not come from the good that we have done or the good that we may think that we are. Our righteousness comes by looking into heaven and seeing him at the right hand of God. Our righteousness is in Christ. So today we open up this book, not pointing fingers. We open this uh, book or this chapter and we are going to, in a sense, stare into a mirror. And as we look into the mirror, we want to see not someone else, but we want to see us. We will either leave today seeing ourselves clothed in the righteousness of Jesus or we will see ourselves naked and afraid with the grace of God being offered to us in Christ Jesus. So I pray that there's none that will walk out of this place today that will be naked and afraid, but we will all leave clothed in the righteousness of Christ himself. This is a challenging text. I do also going to give one more disclaimer. If, if you, really, really two things. One is if you have things that you want me to say today, Okay, so like you came into the room and you want to preach the sermon, like you, you know about Genesis 19. If there are things that you want me to say and you don't hear me saying them, please do not stop listening to what I am saying. Because it does not mean it will not happen next week. Okay, remember, I'm the one up here. Okay, and so this is a tough task. Three weeks of it. So just let the Lord lead us today as we open up God's word. And so I invite you, to open up Genesis 19 and we will read the first 16 verses. And this is, this is the word of God. By the way, I said two disclaimers. The other one is this. Today will not be as much so, but next week uh, and then there'll be a break. And then, and then the, the, the rest of the two times in Genesis 19, the disclaimer will be, I will do my best uh, to protect ears, Okay but I will not tickle them, if that makes sense, if you understand that from Scripture. So, so there, there are things and there are subjects that if, if you are hesitant for a young child, I, I would probably not, if my daughters wanted to come in those weeks, 
at five and three, uh, Hazel may could come in. But if they want to come in at five and three, I would probably say no. So just, just throwing that out there. Welcome to Alberta Baptist. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's read God's word. Wow, okay. I'm nervous. I never get nervous. Okay, here we go. Genesis 19, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself, bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in, our, in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and he baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all of the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But he said, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they, they wore themselves out, groping for the door. The men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. The Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside of the city. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for your hand today. We ask for your power. We ask for your spirit to be at work not only in me as I proclaim, but in all of us as we hear and respond to your word. 
God, help us not to uh, interject where we should not speak, whether inwardly or outwardly. Help us not to voice our opinion over a subject. Help us to see what you, by your grace, have given us here in Genesis chapter 19. Lord, I pray that Christ would be lifted up today and that people would know him. They would see him and love him. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may not like to hear this, but you know as well as I do that certain people are just known for their sin. I'll be honest with you. I, I was a person who before I came to Christ, was known for sin. It's not, it's not the thing that you want. It's not the mark that you desire, but you know as well as I do, certain people are known for their sin. Some are symbolic for it. Jezebel. Okay, when we think of Jezebel, we think of her as a human being that was sinful, that was evil. We also think of her almost as a symbol of who not to be. Okay, this is a picture of what you do not, who you do not want to be and who you don't want to be around. We think of certain places, certain areas, and, and some of these have a touch of interest to uh, many as well, but there are certain locations that when we think of that location, we think of sin. There are certain streets, when we think of that street, we think of sin. There are certain cities Really very few, if you think about it, but certain cities that in, you know, across the board, if people were talking about them, whether they like the city or not, they're a city that are known for, it's a city that's known for sin. Sodom was a city known for sin. Sodomites were a people known for their wickedness. And we really come to this city thanks to an opportunity that came to Lot back in chapter 13. And so I want to ask if you would to hold your place in 19 and flip over to chapter 13, verse 10. And you'll you'll remember this more than likely, but this is Abraham and Lot are speaking. And the opportunity has been given by Abraham to Lot. He says, hey, you can pick any area that you want to go, you know, we've, we've got to separate. We've got too much stuff. Uh, there, there's too much, you know, issue here in the midst of both of us being here. And, and, and so, you know, your people are getting frustrated at my people. You annoy me, you know, whatever. But y'all, we've got to, we've got to go our separate ways. And, and so there in chapter 13, the opportunity has been given to Lot. Abraham says, pick where you want to go. You go left, I'll go right, you know. You go right, I'll go left, whatever, whatever you pick. And look at what the word of God says about what Lot did. Verse 10, it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. We're told there in God's word, in parentheses, it says this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all of the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. 
So he doesn't move into Sodom. He moves his tent all the way to basically outside the city gates of Sodom. He pitches his tent there. And we're told this about Sodom. So in this scene, we're already given this information. Now the men of Sodom were what? They were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So we're told that this place that he goes, they're known for their wicked ways. Lot chooses to go there. Now, before you act like he's crazy for going there, more than likely, unless you're just one of those people that are like, I don't like the city. Okay, if you're, if you're, like, if you're that person, you're like, I don't like city, give me you know, 10 acres out somewhere where I don't have to see a Starbucks. Okay, if that's you, that's great. Okay, but that's just you. Most people, if you give, give an opportunity, do you want this awesome city with all the things that you could desire? There's water, there's food, there's abundance, there's uh, culture, or, or do you want the desert? Okay. Most, most of us, I guarantee you, I'd have gone. I mean, if I couldn't get coffee when I want coffee, I wouldn't have gone there. You know, it's like, I need, like he, he, did, he did what people, uh, what we would do. I mean, he looks at the place and he says, I'm going that direction. And I bet Abram was a little sad. I mean, Abram went where he knew God was gonna bless, but he didn't know when he would bless it the way that he wanted him to bless it. And so, I mean, he was probably a little sad, but Lot went and he pitched his tent outside of Sodom. Now, go back to chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse one, tells us something about Lot right there from the beginning. It says that the two angels, they came to Sodom in the evening and look at what it says about Lot. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now, this doesn't have to mean as much as it can mean. Okay, so I'm gonna give you what it could mean and then we'll say what, what you know, has to matter at this point. What it could mean is uh, typically when we look at a description of a seat at the gate, that, that usually is a leadership position in the community or the city. It is a prominent seat. So th- there's a chance just by what we have read here that Lot actually has a prominent position they're in the city of Sodom. Now, I don't know that because I'm gonna be given some information here. We've already read there in verse nine where the people are very, they seem very much against him as an outsider. And so they're gonna say, you have journeyed here, you've sojourned here, and now you're gonna judge us. You know, and so it, it appears that he's outside, but yet he is in a seat at the gate. We at least know this, he lives there. Okay, so he does not live in his tent anymore. He lives in a uh, home there in the city of Sodom. And so he has moved from outside of the city to in the city. Now, how did that happen? Well, I don't know. We're, we're not really given information as far as what this progression looked like. But I want us for just a moment to leave chapter 19. So hold your place there. Now flip over to Psalm 1. And let's just consider a progression that we should be reminded of when we think of that tent being outside of the city to it existing uh, within. Psalm 1, fairly common psalm to be read. 
mainly because it's the first one, I believe. And so you start there and then you make it to a few and then you start back a few months later when you, when you, uh, when, when you begin again. But Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, I got to be careful here, but I believe that there is going to be a progression that takes place there with light that gets him in this city as there's progression in most of our lives that we can recognize that has ended up in a place of sin uh, for us in a, in a place where we got in a position uh, that was destructive and not godly. We, we see here, uh, you know, the, the first point for the day. I want you to open up your outline and, and look at it. The first point of the day is this, is we need to recognize with Lot the danger of being too close to Sodom. The danger of being too close to Sodom. See, the, the psalmist, while he writes, he's telling us, hey, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of sinners. Does not walk in the way, doesn't walk with them. Because I mean, imagine, you know, you're just kind of walking around and, and after walking for a little bit, you begin to get a little more comfortable. And so you stand and, and things begin to happen. Eventually you just sit, Okay. And all of us know what that feels like. All of us knows what that looks like. And it doesn't have to be the same example in each of our lives. In fact, all of us have different stories and different struggles. But we know what this means. We're told, don't walk in it, don't stand in it, don't sit. It's a progression. And I don't know how Lot ended up where he did. But I do know that at once, he, one time he was pitched, he pitched a tent outside of the city but later we find out that he's living in the midst. When I ask a question before we move on, and that's this, how close can we be to Sodom and not be destroyed in it? How, how close can we be to Sodom and not be destroyed in it? Is it possible for me to be strong enough but not my wife? Is it possible for me to be closer to it, but not my kids? Seems like it here in the case of Lot. See, Lot is a guy that we think of as just making poor decisions, foolish decisions. We, we read about him here and I guarantee you in, in your minds and in my mind, there was one thing that stuck out about his decision-making. But I want you to see what God's word says about Lot. 
Once again, hold your place. Turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. What do the scriptures say about Lot? Look with me at verse 6. We'll come right in the middle. It says, if turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, or by, ter- by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, God condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, Can you believe that? Listen to what it says about Lot. That God rescued righteous Lot. And we're told about Lot that he was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. We're told about Lot as we watch him later be rescued. We're told then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. I think there's more to Lot than what we see there on this page. But once again, I ask, how close can you be to Sodom and not be destroyed in it? How close? Secondly, I want us to see, not not only do we want to see the danger of being too close to Sodom, but see the difficulty of godly living in the midst of ungodly Sodom. You know, notice Lot. We just read about him. And if you're a note taker, maybe put this down. He's a righteous man of God. That's what the word tells us. And so in chapter 18, this plea for, you know, from Abraham to the Lord, this intercession, is there a righteous man? You know, are are there 50, are there 40, are there 30, are there 20, are there 10? Uh, Evidently in his mind, he had Lot in in the forefront there. He knew about Lot. Abraham knew that Lot was a righteous man. Not perfectly righteous. That's not what we're talking about here. You know, we said at the very beginning, none are righteous, no, not one. But th- this is one who, who has moral character, one, one who is moving toward the heart of God. This is one who desires good, not only for his own life, but for those around him. Uh, Lot was a man that we're told was righteous. We're, we're told that he was tormented by what he saw the people doing in the city. And so when we say that Lot moved into the city, we're not saying that Lot moved in and became exactly like the Sodomites. That's not what we're saying at all. It's very clear that he was not like that. In fact, we see that in several areas. One is this, is we see his hospitality. When the two angels come, we see him, he takes them in, he feeds them, he gives them a feast. We see him desire to protect and in a sense fight for them. Uh, we see him have a desire to protect them. We see him come against the sin of the people of the city. He, he calls the ways wicked. He says, do not do this wicked thing. 
We, we see him, he's clearly an outsider, but I want you to see it's difficult uh, in, a, in Sodom to be taken seriously. See, when you, when you live in Sodom, when you're in the midst of Sodom, it's difficult to be taken seriously. See, I don't know what his day-to-day talk with his sons-in-law, you know, what it was like, but, but when, when Tom comes and he has an urgent message for them, they, they think he's joking. Like they don't take him seriously. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's because Lot never talked about God or anything like that. We don't know. But what we do know is this, it's hard to be taken seriously to people who don't care. And so if you are constantly feeling like a person who is being laughed at, you know, a person who, you know, your views, if you spoke them out in the places where you are, if people would be against you or they would think you were joking or they they wouldn't take you seriously, you're not alone. You're not alone. It's difficult to live in the midst of Sodom. And that, that's one way we see. Another way, it, it's difficult to be an outsider. It's hard to be an outsider. Man, I, I probably care more than I should about, you know, oftentimes, you know, does that person like me? Does that person like being around me? Am I welcomed in this room? Am I welcomed in this environment? What do they think? It doesn't mean I... I hold back on truth. Uh, but I mean, who likes being an outsider? I mean, do you? You like having a little circle of trust and then you're outside of it? I mean, do you, do you like that? Well, well, Lot is a guy who I don't know what, what he usually experienced. I don't know if he was used to having a prominent seat in the city and people liked him and talked well of him. I, I don't know. But on this day when he confronted sin, he was an outsider. He, he was an alien. And when we think about Sodom, when we think about what's taking place here with Lot, we see the difficulty of living a godly life in the midst of an ungodly people. It's very hard. People don't take you seriously and they, as soon as truth comes in, they push you as an outsider. It's hard to be in the world but not of the world. You know who gives us a good example? Jesus. Sunday school answer, everyone. Jesus. I mean, has there ever been a clearer picture of how one could engage in an ungodly society and yet remain perfect? to pursue the ungodly, yet remain unstained. Jesus gives us a perfect picture of what this is like. The answer here as we read is not parents say, okay, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pull my kids away from everything. They'll never be around anything that's close to sinful. Yes, they will, they'll be around you. The answer is not to completely pull away, to go and hide somewhere, okay? And the answer is not to jump right in and engage in the full. The answer is to be like Christ, who shows us perfectly how to be in the world, but not of it, but not of it.
See, it's difficult to be taken seriously. It's difficult to be an outsider. And what we see with Lot, and don't worry, I, you knew I'd bring it up. It's difficult to not compromise your values. It's difficult not to compromise even your greatest of convictions. You know, there's some messed up things that you read. I'm troubled by several passages, two chapter 19s, uh, chapter 19 here and chapter 19 in the book of Judges, and they're, they're both very similar. But what I see here with Lot, I absolutely hate. Being a, a dad of three precious little girls and being a husband who very much loves and adores my wife, I despise Lot's response in the midst of the controversy, in, the, in the, the midst of the evil that's taking place on that night. See, he compromises. And, and yet it's not what we're told. It's not what is highlighted throughout scripture when we hear about Lot. But yet it was highlighted in your mind and in my mind when it was read today. And it's that for whatever moment, whatever was going on in his head, however this took place, Lot compromised and he was going to give himself over to the hospitality of these two men, these two angels, for the lives of his two daughters. In fact, it's in the wording. I mean, he, he says, take my daughters. They've never been with anybody. Do to them as you want to. Does that make you sick? But yet, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, gives us a place where God has the audacity to call him a righteous man. How? How? Let me tell you something. I am so glad that my life is not summed up in one passage. Really. I'm glad that everything you know about me is not given in a chapter 19 somewhere. I am so thankful that one verse of my life is not what you're left with. Unless it's one that I write. So you can say whatever you want to about Lot. You can absolutely hate what he did. You can hate what he was thinking there. I, I hate it too. I hate it with you. And I can promise you God hates it more. But yet that one verse was not the story of Lot's whole life. And so as bad as the scene was, Lot was absolutely tormented by what was happening. And in the fear of losing his life, he made a horrible decision that God didn't let him act on. Let's understand this. It's difficult to live a godly life in the midst of ungodly Sodom. Some of you know this very well. Some of you last week, and I'll, I'll just use this as an example. We're, we're not just talking to men here. We're talking to everyone. I'm going to use the men as an example. Last week, there was, I don't know how many of you were up here. Probably 50 men were just up here at this altar. 
And you were saying, I want to be a man who is righteous, who lives a righteous life. I want to be a man who fights for my family and stands up for my family. Some of you right now, you got the torn look on your face like Lot had. Some of you know that you can't live the life that you told God last week you would live because this week you looked at what you ought not look at. You participated in something you ought not participate in. And some of you very well, you, you know this, you have done many things that put your family at risk. Some of you have looked at things this week that you put your family and your future at risk. And we said it before, but what you look at has the power to bless or curse your family. And you need to hear that. All of us need to hear, it's difficult, it's difficult to live a godly life in the midst of an ungodly culture. How close can you be and not be destroyed in it? How close can you be? See, Lot was torn and I believe we can see our face in the torn face of Lot. Desiring to protect his guest while seeking to appease the people around him. It's tough. Thirdly, I want us to recognize the desire to stay in Sodom. This just really does blow my mind every time I read it. We know, I mean, think about the night. Okay, think about what the night was like. The entire city surrounded your house. You know how scary that would be? Like, like they, they look like what I think of as zombies. Like they don't even seem like people. Like they were groping for the door after they'd been struck with blindness. That's messed up. That's really scary. Like I wouldn't wanna be there. It's a big deal in scripture. You read through and it's over and over again in chapter 19, the door was shut. They shut them in. There's a, something that separated these people that were with the presence of these two angels that separated them from just the ungodliness that was happening outside. It was scary. And yet the angels, they say, okay, go tell anybody that you care about. Go tell them that this city is about to be destroyed. Get away from here. It's gonna be destroyed. And it doesn't seem like Lot does anything. He doesn't do anything. He tells his sons-in-law and then they start, they think he's joking. And then evidently like he just kind of stayed where he was. They come back that morning and they say, go get your wife and your kids. Get out of here. Get away from this place. And yet we're told, look at the wording. It says, verse 16, but he lingered. But he stayed. Why did he stay? I was talking to a guy a few months ago. He came, he came in and uh, was chatting with him. He, he was an addict. I, I actually, I do remember his name. I'm not gonna say his name, but he, he came in. We had a great conversation and uh, he was addicted to crystal meth. 
And so we started chatting about it and, and he opened up to me and, and this is what he told me about crystal meth. He said, I, I abused heroin for years, for years. But I knew that heroin would kill me. And so what I decided to do was go to something that wouldn't destroy me physically in the same way. It wouldn't end my life. And he said, so I talked to a friend and they hooked me up with, with uh, crystal meth. And he said, I did it one time and it was so effective that I never did heroin again. He still had never done it to this day. He said, it was so great that I completely walked away from what I was formerly addicted to, to something else. And he said, but let me tell you about it. He said, my friend that gave it to me, he said, you're gonna love meth and you're gonna hate meth. And he looked at me in the face and he said, that's where I am today. I love it, I want it but I hate it and it's destroying everything about my life. Man, isn't that what we see with Lot? I mean, I've got to get out of this place yet I want to stay. I can't do this anymore yet I'm giving myself to it over again. This is killing me yet I think I should live here. How many of you have been there? Come on now. How many of you in relationships, you've said, it is a horrible decision for me to continue going this direction, yet I'm back again. This is killing me in my walk with God, but I'm back again. How many of you have been in a place or you've seen people in a place, they said, I should not be this close to this person. But yet I keep texting them. I shouldn't be this close to this person, but yet I'm on the phone with them again. I shouldn't be this close to this person, yet there I am meeting with them one-on-one. It'll destroy you. How many of you said, I know I should get rid of my phone or my computer, but yet I continue looking at what is killing my mind. The desire to stay in Sodom. Lot knew that destruction was coming, yet he lingered. I want us to end today with the truth that we see, the point, the deliverance from Sodom. Isn't this just a sweet reminder of who God is? Because I mean, this is a tough text. I mean, like this, this is a very difficult passage. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about God's judgment. It's hard to talk about God's judgment. But right here in the middle of the passage, it it appears to be lifted up, to to be exalted even, this one passage or this one scripture. It says that Lot lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. Isn't that? They grabbed them by the hand and they pulled them away. And why? It says, the Lord being merciful to him. Because God's a God of mercy. God's a God of grace. 
And though Lot has done so many things wrong, though he is, he is staying in a place that will kill him, God, because he's a God of mercy and grace, has to grab him by the hand, grab their family and get them out. I'm reminded here, and I'll end here, of Ephesians chapter 2. And I feel like this helps us to lead in a time of the Lord's Supper. Ephesians chapter 2, we're told in God's word, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive Together with Christ, it is by grace that you have been saved. Isn't that wonderful? Like, like all of us, by nature, we're stuck in Sodom with judgment and wrath coming. But God, being rich in mercy, he doesn't leave us there. He gives us something more than two angels' hands to hold. He gives us his son. And the truth of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that God's wrath, God's judgment, God's punishment falls upon the perfect son of God and not upon your head. The fire that was for you came upon the sun. The judgment that was for you fell upon Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that for those in Christ, we look to him. All we do is look to the Lord. And we're told that our sin is no longer on us, but it was on Christ and we through Jesus are welcomed into the very family of God. We're taken not just outside of any city, not just outside of any situation, we are brought outside of the world itself and we're placed in heaven with the promise of a kingdom that will last forever, with the promise of a people that will not give themselves over to the lust of the flesh, but they'll give themselves over to God for all of eternity. The Lord is good and he desires good for us. Today, as Jennifer comes, I want you to consider all that we have looked at today and ask the question, how in the power of God should I respond? We're gonna take the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes and the Lord's Supper is a perfect way for you to respond if the Lord is leading you. And what that means is you're gonna take bread and you're gonna take the cup and you are going to say as you partake of that, there's my righteousness.
There's my healing. There's my answer. There's the one that rescued me, delivered me. There's the one who loves me. And as you take this, you're able to say, I've been too close to Sodom. I have moved in Sodom. I have given myself over in Sodom. And yet this reminds us that the day is not over. The hope is here. And the Lord loves you. The Lord cares for you. In fact, the Lord is able in his power to rescue Sodom. Isn't that great?